Just before we move into our uh, message for this morning, I want to mention that next Sunday we're going to have Keith and Melanie Hansel with us. Keith and Melanie Hansel uh, were uh, IWs in Niger, and they were called back because there was a coup that took place in Niger, so they are doing their home assignment year, and then they'll be heading back. So they'll be with us next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, the Advent season begins. So I want to encourage you to start thinking about Advent and looking forward to Christmas. And the theme for this year is a Christmas heart, a Christmas heart. We're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 25. I'm reminded of the story of David and Goliath as I look at these verses here in Galatians chapter 5. Israel was facing their enemy, the Philistines. They were on one hill. The Philistines were on the opposing hill. And for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion, Goliath, would step into the valley And he would cry out. He would say, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, who was at that time king of Israel and leading the army, it says that Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days this went on. The Philistines on one side, Israel on the other, And in the middle, this challenge was given. They were immobilized. Fear immobilizes people. Fear can immobilize followers of God, followers of Jesus. Well, it was the 40th day, and a young man, a shepherd by the name of David, comes with some food for his brothers who were in the army, And he heard Goliath. And so he goes to Saul, the king of Israel. And he says, I will defeat Goliath in the strength of the Lord. Of course, there's a number of things that happen. But finally, finally David is ready. And he goes to meet Goliath just as he is with his shepherd robe, with his staff, with his sling. And he says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Wow, that sounds gruesome, doesn't it? But you can see the strength and the boldness in David as he puts his trust in the Lord Jesus. It says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell that face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine. I believe that as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we find ourselves in constant battle too. And, and sometimes this picture of this battle is the same picture we find in our own very lives. There's a valley and we are afraid to go into that valley and we're afraid. Our old self that died when we came to Christ is still battling the new creation that is in Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So as we enter this passage, I want you to think of this, the, these two opposing forces. Our sinful human nature and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in the Lord. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Two military forces, we could say, on opposite sides of a battlefield. The desires or the acts of the flesh and the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit. The theme of freedom is woven throughout the book of Galatians, and we're coming to the end of this letter written to the region of Galatia and to the churches there. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And we've seen that. Like I say, it's woven throughout the book of Galatians or the letter of Galatians. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The thought might be, I know what I've been freed from, but what have I been freed for? And now Paul gives us that answer. The answer is to serve one another humbly in love. I think that some of us, we would gladly serve God humbly in love, but to serve others, well, that's another matter, right? Especially to serve others humbly in love. And yet, that's what we read here in the letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. 
That is what we're called to do. And if you've been freed from sin, then you do not want to turn back to sin. And so not doing what we've been called to do would be turning back to sin. And the only way is forward to walk with the Spirit of God who indwells us. Christ has unlocked your prison door, our prison door. He has unshackled us. He has freed us from condemnation. He's taken us by the hand through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we, now he has given us the values of imitating Jesus Christ. And so we continue in our passage, Galatians 5, 14 to 15 says to us, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. There's been this conversation throughout this letter about the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor. In Mark 12, 29 to 31, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In Romans 13, 9 to 10, the same thought is repeated for us. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The true Christian walk is a walk between legalism and license. It's a walk down the middle. It is a walk in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, desire the grat you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You see, the battle lines are drawn. The acts of the flesh are on one side. The fruit of the spirit is on the other side. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, we're given the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We could spend time looking at this list. There are 15 items listed in this list. But I can tell you right now this list is not an all-inclusive list. Because if you notice, and I have it underlined for you, on the screen it says, and the like. 
So after Paul lists 15 items, he just figures, well, I think I've got enough. I'll just end the like because I could keep going and keep going and keep going and I'm just wasting paper. If we wanted to spend time, we could work with these, this list of 15 and we would realize that there's four categories. There's sexual sins, there's religious sin, there's social sin, there's personal sin. But I think the phrase that we need to realize is that last phrase and the like. And then it goes into a very serious warning. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those whose lifestyle continually dwell in these sin areas will not. I think we realize as we read this that you can't fool around with sin and claim that you are a Christ follower. It doesn't work. The Bible is stating a fact that when we choose to practice a lifestyle that is contrary to the character of Jesus and there's no guilt or remorse, you most likely are not a follower of Christ and you're not going to be a part of God's kingdom. We need to realize though that if a person is caught in sin and that does happen at times, and that person moves towards repentance and desires freedom from the sin and its stronghold, they are forgiven and they will inherit the kingdom of God. The list that we're looking at is not to be a checklist, something that we can mark off and say, oh, I'm good on those 15 items. Because, of course, Paul ends with, and like these. I believe that what we're called to do is to move away from those things that don't bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things that don't fit with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not to participate in the acts of the flesh. And it's more than just avoidance. When I think of that, I, I think sometimes we as Christians, we avoid those things. But, but we, we kind of, you know, it's like standing close to the edge of a cliff. And the cliff is giving away. And some of us, we like to stand on that edge and we just like to see. But the ground is giving away. And if you stand too close to these things, you're going to find yourself sucked into them. Freedom moves us from these practices. Not just in the area of avoiding these practices, but freedom moves us towards a whole new set of practices. And so it's like we're, we're changing direction from here to here. We don't look here anymore. We don't focus on this anymore. Instead, we're looking over here and we're focusing and looking on something completely different. 
And so we find that in Galatians 5, 22 to 26, where Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You've probably heard some of the things I'm going to tell you next, and that's okay. It's good to hear these things again and again so that they become a part of us. It's through repetition that things take root. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. And therefore, every believer possesses this fruit. It's like a cluster of grapes, not a single grape. Grapes grow in clusters. So does the fruit of the Spirit. And so we see here a list of nine, love, joy, peace, forbearance, or other translations, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Two general observations I've already mentioned. The one, the fruit of the Spirit is first of all singular. It's not plural. It's not fruits. Gifts of the Spirit is plural. Gifts of the Spirit are not fruit of the Spirit. There's a difference. So it's singular. Second, the fruit of the Spirit interlocks itself. What do I mean by that? We'll pull this apart a little bit further later in just a few moments. But first, I'm going to say what we need to realize is if there is love, there has to be kindness and patience. I'm not sure how you could have love without kindness and patience. It would seem in a marriage relationship that if there is love, there's faithfulness, there needs to be gentleness, there needs to be self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is interlocking. The fruit depends one on the other. I'm not sure how you can say, I love someone, but you're not kind to them. So a question might come, why fruit? Why does Paul use this as an illustration for us or a term for us to understand the Holy Spirit's character within us? I believe that the word fruit as a description for the residue of the Holy Spirit is very significant. First, fruit grows gradually, right? It does. And Christian growth is the same. Fruit starts with a flower that needs to be pollinated. If the flower isn't pollinated, it does not bring forth fruit. The flower just dies. I'm just waiting for the 
There it is. If the flower is pollinated, then fruit will appear. So Christian growth is the same. There's a starting point. I think of the pictures on the wall here of the seed and the sower and the fields. Very similar. There's a starting point in our Christian walk. That's when we could say the flower is pollinated. And it doesn't bring forth fruit until then. But, as Philippians 1.6 says, God who started the work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So once the flower is pollinated, the fruit begins to grow. The fruit is a result of roots. You see, the fruit is not independent. Grapes on a vine grow in clusters, and and the grapes that are growing are connected to the vine, and the vine has roots. So the fruit is a result of its roots. And if the roots are in good, rich soil, the fruit will grow luscious, and it'll be nice fruit. If the fruit is not in good soil, the fruit will still grow, but it will not be what it could be. I mentioned that fruit grows symmetrically. In other words, grapes grow in clusters, and the grapes on the clusters pretty well mature at the same time. But they are interrelated. So, to help us understand that, I have a picture of a barrel with wooden staves in it. And if you put water into that barrel, and one of the staves is shorter than the other staves, that's how high the barrel will be filled. So when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we look at love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we think of each stave of the barrel as being one of these. The barrel will only fill up to the lowest stave. So they're interconnected. They're related with each other. They grow symmetrically. So then the question arises, how do we walk in the Spirit or how do we grow the fruit of the Spirit? There's a simple answer. Put flesh to death. But it is already dead. It is. Spiritually, it is dead, but its passions still rage within us. The desires of the flesh are still there at times. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from 
sin. So the simple and the quick answer is just say no. But you know that doesn't always work, right? And there's a battle that rages within each one of us. That's what Apostle Paul was telling us. So how can the fruit of the Spirit grow within us? And so I want to leave you five aspects of growth this morning. Five aspects of growing spiritual fruit. First, remind yourself that you are in Christ. When you're facing temptation, when you're facing a struggle, remind yourself first of all that you are in Christ. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Your old self is dead. Leave it in the grave. Second, replace that which is not right thinking with right thinking. In other words, pursue what is right. Take the thought captive. Get rid of it as soon as you can. Philippians 4, 8 to 9 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So keep short accounts. Say no. Renounce. That is wrong. Say it. Declare it. If you have to say it out loud, say it out loud so that your ears will hear it and your mind will hear it. Yes, it's temptation, but even at this moment, I want you to move to repentance. Lord, even that thought, if I let it go, is wrong. Repent and then replace. And this is not to be passive. This is not to be passive. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 so that means we move forward. Even if you don't feel like loving someone, you move forward in love. Even if you don't want to be patient with someone, you move forward in patience. You act on what you know is right. And then fifthly, stay humble. Galatians 5.26, 
let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Stay humble. Always realize that you too have been forgiven, that you too struggle with sin, that you too have areas of sin that are raging within you. So stay humble. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Again, we were called to serve one another humbly in love. But you can only do this when you're pursuing Jesus with all your heart. And so there's the final thing that wraps everything together is pursue Jesus with all your heart. The worship team is making their way up and they're going to lead us in singing our closing number. And then I'm going to come up just with some closing announcements. I'll mention already that there's connecting points for all ages. There's the praise, prayer, and worship service tonight at 7 o'clock. The offering card is in the foyer. And the debit machine is by the Welcome Center. And uh, they're here, so I'll let them lead us in closing.